Relationships are difficult, aren't they? <laughs> well, hey, we're so glad that you are here for week two of this series, Marriage Hacks. And if you missed last week, uh, we want to encourage you to get online, go to riverwaychurch.com and watch it back. Uh, because our, our, what we talked about last week is that the number one threat to every single relationship is actually drift. And we may think about that, but as time goes on, as stress uh, fills our lives, busyness creeps in, our relationships slowly begin to fade from each other. And we said that the number one way to avoid drifting your relationship, our hack last week, was to add intention to your connection, to add intention to your connection. So if you missed it, jump online with us uh, and uh, catch up. But we're so glad that you're here for week number two. We're going to talk about communication today. I know that's very exciting for all of us. Uh, might be some groans today, but we'll get through it together. So right inside of your bulletin should be some message notes if you want to go ahead and grab those out. Also, if you haven't downloaded our app, you can do that. And that's another great way to take notes. Well, as I was thinking about this week, I just thought, you know, it is too bad that the world doesn't offer like a free communication class when you get married. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like when you're in relationships, it should just be like a mandatory deal. You got to take these communication classes to help you. Because as you know, communication is a big part of any relationship. And I would say that Tara and I have our most lively communication sessions when I am driving in traffic and she is riding shotgun with me. It's very lively if you know what I mean. Um, Tara and I have been married 15 years, and we tend to drive a little differently. And even after all these years, she still hates my driving, right? And uh, there is no miscommunication about her feelings about when I'm driving. Uh, it is very, very clear. And then when she drives, I just close my eyes. And uh, she thinks I'm resting, but actually I'm praying the whole time. <laughs> I'm just praying uh, you know, the communication so important in a relationship. Uh, you know, sometimes it is what we say. Sometimes it's not what we say. Sometimes it's what is heard. Uh, because over time, maybe things have built up, right? And things get miscommunicated. Uh, one couple said that our communication has gotten so bad that when I would ask, what's for dinner? She would hear me say, I can't believe you haven't prepared dinner again tonight. She would say, what time are you coming home? And I would hear, you better get here and help me because you're never here. See, for many of us, as we've tried to muddle through communication, uh, some of us, we've learned the hard way about saying the wrong things at the, at the wrong time or maybe the wrong way over and over and over again. But what if the Bible had some clear direction for us when it came to how we can communicate in relationships and get better at it, Right? Uh, I believe that's a goal for all of us. And so I think the couple things or the one hack we're going to give him, we're going to unpack it, is really the key to changing our relationships. And so the very first fill-in on your notes is this, that he the healthiest marriages take time to regularly communicate authentically. The healthiest marriages take time to regularly communicate authentically. And by communicate authentically, I do not mean only when you're mad and at like one in the morning, right? That is not the time to bring up that sensitive subject and say, let's just plow through here on this. Um, but really, you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan in communication, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how we can communicate better and more effectively so that our relationship gets stronger. You have to have a plan to talk about even some of the most difficult conversations in your relationship. Because if you don't, you might find yourself in a relationship that neither of you intended to be and built on the cons uh, constructed by your own silence, right? There's just no communication taking place. And it's impossible to know where each other are at without this healthy 
communication. And so I want to admit right up front that I think a large part of our difficulty when we exp- that we experience in communication is because of the gender differences. Uh, maybe you've read this book, uh, you know, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, right? We're, ma- we're made very, very differently. But men tend to use language to transmit information, to fix problems, to clarify things and establish control. Uh, women, not everyone, but they're more inclined to view language as a, a means to greater intimacy, uh, building stronger relationships and create cooperation rather than competition. And so I really think out of the gate, we've been kind of primed for failure in this area. Uh, There's been lots of opportunities because of this for misunderstandings, for hurt feelings, for conflict to arise. And so if you've experienced any of those things in your relationship, I just want to let you know that you are normal. (laughs) You're normal in your relationship because communication problems come up For all of us. Uh, Like I said last week, I have done hundreds of weddings. I can't even tell you how many I've done. But usually at some point in the ceremony, there's this idea of a unity candle, or some people do unity sand, or a unity tie the knot, whatever. But the whole object, right, is is to do what the New Testament calls uh, when we both leave you know, our families, and we unite as one flesh. It's the two becoming one. And I'll never forget, I was doing this wedding, and, and there was uh, the candles, and the couple went down, and they took the candles, and they lit the candle together, and they put it back, and then they blew out the middle candle. And I was like, no, no, you're not. And I didn't even know what to do. I was like, man, I have failed as a pastor. I didn't tell them not to blow it out. You're supposed to blow out the side candles, right? We're not uniting one to go back to two. No, no, no. And so it was, it was a complete botch. Uh, my bad. And so, uh, you know, but, but for most of us, right, we have this idea that it's the two becoming one. And it implies that both husband and wife are making a commitment to focus on each other rather than just themselves. To love each other rather than just themselves. And loving another person means accepting them where they're at in their own place of growth. Because if I were to ask you how many of you have ever tried to change your spouse, you might raise your hand. And then my next question would be, and how well did that work out for you, right? It does not work out very well when we try to change someone else because really we can't. And so instead of trying to change your spouse, we need to work together to find communication patterns that work for us and not against us. For us and not against us. Because the truth is that even if we're working to overcome our flaws which I think that probably all of us are focusing on. Uh, From time to time, our partner is going to become frustrated with us. At times, it's going to feel easy to be defeated, to feel like we're not making any ground. Like, what's wrong with us? Is everybody else getting this right? We don't seem to be on the same page. It reminds me, when when we found out that we were pregnant with Landon, uh, one, of the, one of the ways that we would use our date nights is we would go to Barnes & Noble and we would grab one of those books off the shelf that say 10,000 baby names. Anybody ever do this or see one of those books, right? And we'd open those books and we'd, we'd sit there in those recliners and we would like read names to each other. And, you know, just to try to like just poke a little bit, um, I would just try to read only the annoying, like, ridiculous names out of the book. And my wife, you know, she'd be like, we are not naming our kid that, you know, and half of the names in that book, I mean, 10,000, how can you have 10,000? A lot of them were like vowel sounds. They weren't even like names. Uh, it was kind of ridiculous. And so for our first uh, born, we knew we were having a boy, 
And so it was between Lincoln and Landon. We had, that is what we had narrowed it down to, and we named him Landon. And then the second child came, and we knew we were having another boy. And I really wanted to name him Ethan, and Tara really wanted to name him Cooper. And so you can see who won out um, on that. But, but here's the deal. We were having this discussion, and I just thought, man, it's a, you know, it's a great name. Nobody's using that name. You know, until about 10 years later, you realize everybody used that name. And maybe you've experienced that with your own kids. Um, And and so she said, here's the deal. We're probably only going to have boys. And so on our third child, you can name him Ethan. How about that? We'll name this one Cooper. And our next child can be Ethan. And so I just blindly was like, oh, that sounds like a good deal. Sure. Not even thinking that our third child would be a girl, right? And all of a sudden we have a girl and I just, I don't know, I thought about just, you know, holding to it and saying, nope, we're naming her Ethan. That's what we're doing. We're naming her Ethan. Uh, But Addie it was. And so, you know, we weren't on the same page. You know, that's how it is in marriage relationships, how it is in communication, that we want love and respect to kind of be hallmarks of our relationship. And it's frustrating when we miss the mark. And yet here is Paul's instruction to us as husband and wife. Look at this, Ephesians 5.33, he said this. So again, I say, in other words, I, this is not the first time I've said this, but you're not getting it, so I'm going to keep saying it. Again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And if we were just to hit the pause button there, the truth is all of us were born and we didn't have to be taught how to love ourselves, did we? Right? We came out pretty self-preserving, pretty selfish individuals. And Paul is saying, listen, if you're going to get this relationship thing right, you've got to learn to love the other person the same way that you love yourself. And secondly, the wife must respect her husband. Now, this is not a time to be elbowing and be like, see, you don't love me the way you're supposed to, or see, you don't respect me the way that you're supposed to. But rather, love and respect, your next villain, are a key to any marriage. But it can all rise and fall on communication, which starts with who? It starts with who? Me, not with my spouse. Love and respect are a key to any marriage, but it can all rise and fall on communication, which starts with me and not my spouse. Now, anytime we read a passage like this, our first instinct when we read that verse about love and respect, I know that you did this because it is in my nature to do it first too. Immediately when you read about love and respect, you instantly thought of your spouse or the person you're in relationship with, and you thought, I'm going to measure how they're doing at this. Instead of asking yourself, how am I doing at this? You see, the Bible works much better as a mirror than it does a magnifying glass. That's what it's meant to be. But yet oftentimes in relationships, we will take the magnifying glass and we will point out each other's faults. It's so much easier to pass the blame, to point the finger. But rather what God would have us do is when we read passages of Scripture, that we treat it like a mirror and say, God, What is it that you need to do in me so that this happens? God, what is it that you want to change in me? How can I get better at loving and respecting her? How can I get better at loving and respecting him? How can I be better at communicating what I'm feeling? It's about how can I. And the good news is that this progress will never end. You'll never arrive, neither will I, right? That's kind of depressing. It is going to be a work in progress. We'll slowly get better in some areas and then other areas we'll have to keep working on. It's, it's kind of like this, you know, back and forth. And so with so much to keep track of when it comes to communication, how do we do it? Like if we could boil it down to a hack, 
What would that look like? And so maybe you'll find this helpful. If not, you can kind of ignore the rest. But we're gonna, I'm going to give you this hack, and then we're going to kind of unpack this for the next couple minutes. And here it is, surrounding communication. Hack number two, my choice of words and the tone in which they are delivered, along with a listening ear, will be the foundation of healthy communication. If you're wondering, how do we build a firm foundation in our relationship when it comes to communicating with each other, it's simple in theory and difficult to execute. The choice of my words and the tone in which they're delivered, along with a listening ear, will be that foundation. And so let me just say this up front, that none of us could be all of those things all of the time. There's just no way. Because you're human, and I'm human, and we are emotional beings. And there are times we're going to blow it. There are going to be times that we mess up, that we've got to go back. And that's why I'm telling you what, that grace is so important in relationship. Margin and forgiveness, we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the series. So important in our relationships to be quick to apologize, quick to forgive. But I want to give us a couple real practical things that we can do to apply these things to our life, right? Because I said, simple in theory, difficult to execute. But I think with a couple practical things, we can all get better at this. And so here it is, number one, watch the choice of words. Watch your choice of words. You already know that words have power. Words can heal. Words can divide. Right, when one spouse says, I'm leaving you. I'm tired of you. Maybe we should just get a divorce. I wish you were more like so-and-so. I can't stand this relationship. I feel so trapped. You never do this. You always do that. All of those are powerful words. And that's why in Proverbs 12, 18, it says this, that thoughtless words can, what's that word, everybody? Thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword but wisely spoken words can what? I mean, this is a great dichotomy, isn't it, between these two words? Between wounding and healing. The Bible says that is the power of our words. King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live on earth, when he wrote this, right, he said, listen, we all understand this idea of thoughtless words. We've all been there. We've said things we wish we could take back. The moment they've left our mouth, we thought, that was a mistake. And yet there's also words that can heal. And every single time that we communicate with our spouse, we have to make a choice. Are these good words going to wound as deeply as a sword? Or will they heal? It's a great question. You see, thoughtless words, your next fill-in, and you know this. Thoughtless words are usually the result of surrendering to emotion. Thoughtless words are usually the result of surrendering to emotion. And we've all been there. Emotions get the best of us. And we end up saying things we regret. And maybe it comes out of hurt. Maybe it comes out of not feeling loved or not feeling respected. But the reality is emotions have taken over and now they are driving the vehicle of all of our words. And because of our emotional words, it's like we've taken out a giant sword. And Solomon says, you can rip right through somebody just with a few choice words. 
But the other person on the other end of receiving some difficult words also has a responsibility. Now, I want to give you an idea this morning that I'm not even sure that everyone's going to agree with, but I'll take my chances. And so here it is, your next fill-in. That the course of conflict is not determined by the person who initiates, but by the person who responds. The course of conflict is not determined by the person who initiates, but by the person who responds. Let, let me explain this. You may feel like it's okay to lash back out at your spouse because they've come at you with hurtful words. They've come at you with accusations. They've come at you in anger. And just like me, like you, we have been born with a self-preservation that immediately wants us to, right, push back. That we're going to defend ourselves. We have the right, if they come at us, that we can go back. If they say mean words to us, we can say mean words back. If he's picking a fight, if she's picking a fight, I have the right to give it back. And you may be correct. But that person, on the receiving end, has the power to decide whether or not a fight actually occurs. The power rests with the responder. And that's why Proverbs 15.1 says this, a gentle answer deflects anger. But harsh words make tempers flare. And it's interesting here because the scripture verse does not talk about the initial words. It talks about the answer that is given back. That even when things are come at you and it might come out of emotion and it might be harsh and it might be uncalled for, you still have a responsibility of how you're going to respond. And you can respond with harsh words back. And if you do it, come on, we know this. Scripture says that Tempers are going to flare. Everything's going to escalate. Fight's going to begin. But if you will respond with a gentle word, it de-escalates the situation. This is called the principle of first response. And I'll tell you what, Jesus had a ton of experience with this. I mean, if you've read the New Testament, you see that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were constantly coming after Jesus. And almost every single time, they're the ones to initiate it. They were trying to trap him. They were trying to back him into a corner. They were trying to get him angry. And do you know how often they succeeded? Not ever. You know why? Because of how Jesus responded. Jesus knew he had the power to dictate the direction of that conversation. And it rested with him. And I know for us, as we initially hear this, it kind of rubs the wrong way because we want to hold somebody else accountable for their words because words are powerful. And I agree. And absolutely, an individual needs to take accountability for every word that comes out of their mouth. But how we respond is a really big deal in moments than we, when we usually get it wrong. And so Scripture says, come on, lean into this idea that two wrongs don't make a right. That our words are powerful, but our response is even more powerful. And it's up to us. Negative words, we've all been there, so easily escalate. But if we'll choose that principle of first response, right, it brings grace into a situation, grace in communication that we all need from time to time. So we know words are powerful, and they can wield like a sword. But Solomon just got done telling us that words can also heal. Words like, I'm proud of you. Words like, you can do it. 
Words like, I believe in you because, or I respect you so much for, or in the words of the late Whitney Houston, I, 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 I will always love you, right? It's important words, right? I will always love you. I'm telling you what, those are healing words. Look at what Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Remember that every time you have a thought, and before the words come out of your mouth, you have an opportunity to evaluate the power of the words you're about to say. Will they wound or will they heal? How am I responding and what responsibility do I have? So that's the first real practical thing that we can do with this hack. The second thing is to guard your tone of voice. And if there were one thing I probably have to work on the most, it would be this. Because sometimes I don't even realize maybe how harsh my tone is coming across, especially with our kids, right? My wife will say, Ryan, that came off kind of harsh. And I'm like, oh, it's because I was frustrated, <laughs> right? That's why my tone sounded harsh, because I was frustrated. Uh, something I know I've got to focus on. I've got to work on that. Because um, every word we use has attitude that comes along with it. <laughs> which reveals, which is revealed a lot in the tone of our voice. And see, our tone of voice reveals a couple different things, and the choices that we have. And it's your next feeling. The tone of voice reveals one of two things, either arrogance or humility, and compassion or insensitivity. Arrogance or humility, and compassion or insensitivity. And I've gotten this wrong so many times. So many times when I've walked away from a conversation with my wife, I thought that was way more arrogant than it needed to be and very insensitive. Time to go back to the drawing board. Time to reevaluate. Time to get better. Guilty as charged. Because communications, it's, it's a tough deal. And none of us get it right all the time. It's something that we all struggle with. And that's why David wrote this prayer in Psalm 141. I love this prayer. It's a prayer that we can adopt. He said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. <laughs> That's such an interesting thought. I mean, could you imagine paying a security guard just to walk with you and you have to filter everything you say through them first and then they're like, mm, can't say that. Use a different choice, right? I mean, could you imagine that? That's essentially what he's praying. God, I want you to be the guard over my mouth. Would you put a watch over my lips so that I don't say something that I regret, so that I don't say something that divides, so that I don't say something that brings hurt? God, guard the tone. Even my tone that's coming out, it, man, it communicates a lot. So are we using a tone that invites good conversation? And then number three, lastly, this is your practical hack and part of a practical deal here, but I want to just spend a couple minutes here. Develop your listening skills. So important. Develop your listening skills. Now, you already know this, but the hardest part of any relationship, I mean, if you want to know it, this is it. The hardest part of any relationship is when it's not your turn to talk. Am I right? 
right? I mean, when you're waiting for the other person just to be done so you can say what you want to say, and oftentimes when they're talking, you're not really listening. You're just thinking of what you want to say next. It's like you're a lawyer in the courtroom and you are developing your defense so as soon as they're done talking, then you can come in with your rebuttal, right? We've all been there. But healthy communication involves the art of listening. And so let's define it, your next villain. Listening means paying attention when your spouse is sharing with you and listening in a way that lets them know they're heard. Now, if I'm being honest, I like the first part of this villain. I don't like the second part. Listening means paying attention when your spouse is sharing with you. And for many of us, especially guys, right, we say, well, we're always paying attention, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm always listening. And here's the problem with me, and maybe, guys, you notice this too. Early on in our marriage, I really struggled. In fact, I'm still working on this. I don't, I don't think I'll ever probably stop working at this. But I have wrongly assumed that I am a multitasker. I'm not. And most of the guys in this room, you aren't either. And we think, oh, we can still work on this project and listen to what she's saying at the same time. Oh, I can still watch the news and listen to what she's saying. Oh, I can still read this book. I can still. We're not very good at that. And the second part, thus, we have to work on is listening in a way that lets them know that you're heard, that they are being heard. Right? Big thing. Not only do I have to listen better, but what does the body language say? I came across this statistic. I thought it was so interesting. And uh, it's a fill-in in your notes. And, and, and science tells us this, that when you communicate face-to-face with your spouse, your message, is made, your message is made up of three parts. Your actual content is 7%. Your tone of voice is 38%. And your nonverbal communication is 55%. Fascinating, huh? Which means this, that when I get the tone of voice wrong and when I am not showing with my body language that I'm listening and taking it in, I am getting it wrong 93% of the time. And last time I checked, that is a failing grade. Right? 7%, 38%, 55%, over half of our communication is nonverbal. So what does this mean in your marriage? That when your spouse shares with you, make sure that your body language is communicating, that you're listening and interested. It's nonverbal. And so I have had to literally tell myself, when she starts saying something or calls my name, stop what I'm doing and pay attention. Stop what I'm doing, pay attention. Because I'll tell you what, it's too hard to try to multitask. And so the other part of listening that is so important is that we must learn to listen without being defensive. We must learn to listen without being defensive. Ah, I hate this, you guys. I don't even like this talk today at all. we got to learn to listen without being defensive. For a marriage to succeed, both spouses must be able to hear each other's complaints and challenges. And challenges are difficult to listen to Complaints are difficult to listen to without becoming defensive. Come on, we've all been there. The moment something comes up again, it's self-preservation. We immediately push back, right? Our pride kicks in. We want to defend. No, that's not true. And what we forget is that when the two became one, we are on the same team. 
And if I believe that she loves me and she believes that I love her, then as we communicate these complaints and challenges to one another, we got to figure out how to listen without being defensive. Then instead of picking up the magnifying glass and responding back, we pick up the mirror and say, God, is what they're saying to me true? And if it is, I want to get right. I want, I want to get better at this, God. We got to get this right. See, those feelings have to be communicated, and that's the other side. In order for change to occur, you have to be honest about where you're at in feelings because nobody can read your mind, even your spouse. And I know sometimes you think, well, if they loved me, they would just know. Come on. In what other relationship do you do that? But we do. Well, he should just know what I want for my birthday, right? Well, he should just know. She should just know that that would make me upset. She should just know that that's not what I was thinking, right? We expect each other to read each other's mind instead of having this pattern, this authentic communication to say, hey, can I share some things that I'm feeling and thinking about us? But how you express that when you sit down is critical, critical, critical. For instance, if you were to say, I'm really disappointed that you're working again late tonight because it means less time with us. It's totally different than saying, you clearly do not care at all about me or the kids. If you did, you would not work late so much. Same idea, two opposite ends of the spectrum. One yields a sword. One is trying to bring some unification, to say, can we get on the same page? I want you to know how I'm feeling. Can you wait to express the feelings until the emotions have calmed down? Sometimes the best thing you can do is kind of hit the timeout button, just say, hey, let's just take a minute to breathe. Can you find a time to pray before a conversation like that? To say, God, would you help my heart to be in the right place? Help me to not be defensive, accusatory. God, help us to remember that we're one. We're on the same team. And that's why Proverbs 25, 11 says this, that a word spoken at the right time is like fruit of gold set in silver. A word spoken at the right time now, if I'm, being honest, if I'm being honest, I've never had fruit of gold set in silver, but it sounds pretty good, right? So a word spoken at the right time. Timing's important. The way we say it's important. And the truth is that most marriage, if, if they fall apart, it's not because of, they just argue too much. It's because they just erode slowly over time because one or both partners have a difficult time listening and understanding each other. It's like eroding the foundation. We talked about communication being a foundation of marriage. And it's like the waves of emotion, the wave of conflict just erode that foundation. And we've stopped listening. We've stopped trying to understand each other. And pretty soon, the house begins to crumble. And so I would encourage you, as we're striving to listen better, to maybe focus on two things that are super practical, and it's this. The first one is a great question. I don't understand. Could you say that a different way? 
And maybe even more powerful is what I hear you saying is, right, when you're sitting down to have an authentic conversation, not when emotions are high and somebody's mad, by truly listening, by just repeating it back, what I hear you saying is this. Instead of thinking what to say next and being your own lawyer, just stopping to say what I hear you saying is to try to identify it and take the mirror and say, I want to know if this is something that I need to try to work on. And then it helps the other person feel hurt. Or they can recorrect you and say, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. And then you can say again, well, okay, what I hear you saying is this. Is that what you're saying? And so you finally get to a place of agreement. And it's a place where you both can move forward in communication. Right? We're not trying to defend. We're not trying to straighten the other person out. Our goal is to hear our partner's heart so that we can again work on this rather than keying in on the frustration that you might feel about a situation. And James 1, 19 and 20, we'll close with this, it says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. What's interesting about this verse is that there is one quick and two slows. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to be angry. It doesn't say be slow to listen and quick to speak, quick to get angry, and yet, more times than not, that is what we do. That's what our human nature tells us to do. And as we become more like Jesus and we get in moments like this, we're reminded of verses like this that God has given us and preserved it for us to help us be better in relationships. And when emotions are rising, and you're tempted to just kind of let loose back, we're reminded, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And here's the reality for all of us, is that in every single relationship, if you want good communication, this is going to take work. Because none of us are born with this. None of us, it instantly happened when we said I do, and suddenly oh, everything's just perfect in communication. No, 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 this is going to take work. And the problem is for a lot of us, we don't like work. We want it to be easy. But the reality is that for any relationship worth its weight, it's worth the work. And for every one of our goals to be in the nursing home, feeding each other jello at the end of it all, which we want. Come on, it, it's going to take some work. And whether you've been together a year or whether you've been together 25 years or 30 years, it will still take work. But as we're willing to put in the work, as we're willing to take a biblical model and say, let's apply this to our communication, the reward on the other side is unity. And that's what we want. And here's what I know about you because I know it about me. Is that I've got some work to do. And you've got some work to do. Because none of us could be all of these things all of the time. So let's work at it. The two have become one. We're on the same team. Let's work on our communication. If we'll be careful with our choice of words, if we'll watch the tone in which we use those words and we develop a listening ear, the foundation gets strengthened and we get better in our relationships. Can we pray together? Do you mind just closing your eyes all over this room?
And at the end of our services, a lot of times we just like to take 30 seconds to pray. But what God is doing in our heart, we believe here at Riverway that God can speak right to our hearts and that we can talk to him. And maybe even in this moment, there's one or two things that you say, I know I've got to take the mirror and work on it. And so between you and God, let's just make a commitment to that end right now. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, there is so much riding on this. Our marriages, our relationships, that we can't afford to get this wrong. So we invite you to convict us and move us into a place of growth. That humility and sensitivity would be our aim. You'd help us to apply these tools to open up lines of communication for a healthier relationship. But God, it's hard. And so I just pray that by your spirit, you'd remind us of this. In that next conversation, remind us how we're to respond. In that next conversation, remind us to guard our words and tone. In that next conversation, help us to listen. We simply need your help. We can't do it alone. So I pray you'd bless every relationship that's putting in the work. And may we see the results and the dividends on the other side. In Jesus' name we pray.